Hey guys, it's Brian from Dude What. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to the show, and we truly hope you're enjoying the October programming we've laid out for you guys. We're bringing you another side table re-release that will send shivers down your spine. Of course, we could not resist giving you a double dose of friend of the show, Dave Batista, in back-to-back episodes. This time, you're getting our chat about the film Knock at the Cabin, and talk about chills and goosebumps. This film had it in spades. Originally dropped earlier this year on February 16th, Knock at the Cabin turned out to be a great movie talk so curl up under your blanket with the lights down low here's that episode unedited from its original release enjoy Hey guys, it's Brian with the Dude What Movie Review Podcast. We're bringing you a fun side table about the film Knock at the Cabin, starring friend of the show Dave Batista. M. Night Shyamalan film brought about a ton of movie discussion between Jim and I, and we decided to capture it all and release it as its own special. As per usual with these side tables, it's completely spoiler-filled and goes off into many different tangents. There's a small language problem on this episode I wanted to let you know about. Nothing too crazy, so just sit back and enjoy. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? I just want to watch my movie. Oh, Jim, 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 Jim. Us and our little field trips. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to talk about this movie because there's a lot of fanfare behind it. Jim, have you seen Knock at the Cabin? Oh, wait, I already know the answer. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I did. (laughs) Man. M. Night Shyamalan, friend of the show, Dave Batista. We had a lot of high hopes for this going into it. We did. We had uh, a weekend planned, so to speak. We had uh, some stuff come up, and I was invited to a thing. Don't know if we can talk about that. Yeah, not... we can. I, well, you know, eh, kind, I mean, maybe. Eh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing. We could talk about it. Just don't tell people where you got the tickets. We'll be all right. What tickets? What are you talking about? <laughs> Let you in through the back door. That's Just, right. Yeah. No, we had a big shindig. It was a fundraiser That's for right. a uh, a local organization here in Evansville. Mm-hmm. And um, they do a lot of work with trauma victims right. and things like that. Do a right. lot of counseling and stuff. And it was their big fundraiser. Right. They do every year called the Chocolate Affair. Yeah. Hobnobbing with the rich elite of Evansville, my friend. Yeah. And we try to use it as an opportunity to network with, uh, you know, for dude what, but we forgot our business cards that we don't have. (laughs) No one would take one. They would literally look at it and be like, dude, what? I was trying to write with one of the brownies on the white tablecloth. (laughs) It's a good thing that we were getting fundraising for the mental health issues and everything that was going on because you were just like a poster child that night, rubbing your brownies over the walls and on the tables. What is wrong with that guy? Anyway, we had, yeah, no. <laughs> we had fun with that. We had fun with that. We did. And then afterwards, we were like, hey, man, we're not going to stay here all night for this thing. Let's cut out early. And if we cut out early, maybe, just maybe, there'll be enough time for us to go check out Knock at the Cabin. And we, we, we did. We, we were able to make it. <laughs> we did. And, you know, and here's the thing. Like, our wives got to come with us. Right. You know, Kylie and I, I don't know if you know, we have a lot of children in our home. What? We never get a night out past like a couple hours. Right. You know, it's usually like, okay, we can go to dinner or, oh, we can go get a snack. And then, you know, (laughs) we go get an ice cream and then have to go home. This is a full on like adult night. Yeah. I was like, well, hey, we get to hobnob and get all dressed up at a fancy place Mm -hmm. and have a couple drinks, a couple drinkies. Lose the habit. And then (laughs) Uncle Dane. And then, uh, yeah, then we were like, let's go see Knock at the Cabin because it was opening weekend. Yes. Which I'm kind of excited to say that uh, I think our contribution it helped did. 
Help knock Just Avatar that out of the today. rankings. Yeah, that? seven weeks straight, Avatar at the top got bumped out of the top spot by Knock at the Cabin. Pretty take, awesome. Take that, James Cameron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> take it. Oh, God. Take it, please. You yeah, know. but I, I was really excited to see that. I thought that was awesome. We almost got in a fight. Oh, God. It, and, was not, and, it wasn't even that bad. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, ladies and gents. All right, here's the thing. We're in the age now where you pick your seats at the movie theaters whenever you buy your tickets. It's not like it was back in the day when you just get general admission tickets. You go in and you have to find your seat in the dark. No. You have designated seats that you pick out when you go in. It's real simple. Now, if you're the type of people that go to the theater and you buy tickets for one set of seats and you realize, hey, no one else is in these other seats and they're a little bit better and you want to move to those, that's fine. But if the people who bought those seats end up showing up, don't give them an attitude whenever they're like, hey, these are our seats. We paid for them. Just pick your crap up and move to the seats that you actually paid for. It's real simple. And I will say, just make sure you handle it like Brian did. <laughs> I was pretty straightforward. You, you were. And I mean, I'm sure this girl probably, she didn't know what to do because she, she had left to go get something, go to the bathroom, whatever, right. and came back. And her friend had moved her slushy right. down. down a, and she came out and goes, did you move her? Uh, and then and <laughs> I kind of look at her like, yeah, like I didn't say anything. But yeah. Brian was like, yeah, we paid for these seats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, and it's, she just kind of stood there awkwardly for a minute, and then I mean, shook her head, walked off. So, there, I mean, I don't know what else there was to say in this situation. It was yeah, like I paid for these seats. I paid for these. I seats. can show you my ticket stubs yeah. where I pointed it out on a screen and picked them out. I was kind of hoping she was going to pull out her tickets and be like, "That would well, be we great," because then we all would have got free tickets that night, right? We all oh, could have yeah. went to the front. Oh, and if said, they hey, double sold the seats, yeah, hey, double hey, book, you get free your, movies. Your system's all jacked. You oh, yeah. owe us a new uh, new movie tickets, but they didn't happen. They moved over. They were kind of gruff. The one girl was kind of. Eh, yeah. Whatever, but she quickly got over it whenever she realized there was no moving this middle aged guy. Right. Well, and then, and then Dave Batista was on the on the screen. So, well, yeah. I mean, I mean he's got our back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's actually talk about Knock at the Cabin. Right. Okay. Like I said at the very beginning, Knock at the Cabin, M Night Shyamalan, Dave Batista, big hype train. Very excited. We've been sharing all kinds of stuff on social media about it leading up to this. Jim Miller. We went and saw it together. Your initial thoughts, go. Initial thoughts, I was excited. I was excited for it because I've seen a lot of little uh, behind-the-scenes interviews with uh, M. Night Shyamalan, yep. you know, Dave Batista. like a lot of people rave reviews about him. Right. Excited to see him. I know that we've talked about him a lot, and we joke around that he is friend of the show, Dave Batista. Right. Because uh, he retweeted us once. You know? <laughs> he did. He, did. he responded. <laughs> or his, his PR once. person retweeted us by accident. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were on a drunken binge or something, probably, yeah. But but whatever. He had uh, to have at least listened to the trailer. He had to. Right. But we, we've talked about Dave Batista for a while and his ability to just... Well, we were talking about it off air, actually. His ability to each role that he plays, he brings yeah. something different to it. Right. And he, he's growing exponentially yeah. uh, better and better uh, each role that he takes. And so we were really excited. I know I was excited to just see him in a, in a lead role. But yeah, because he got top billing on this. I didn't realize that he had gotten top billing on this. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, he did. And and then it, it being an M. Night Shyamalan movie, I'm a huge fan of M. Night. I know... He's a hit or miss kind of director for a lot of people. I don't think he's a hit or miss director. I think he's just hit or miss for the audiences that go to his films. That's a big uh, distinction. Yes. Because to say he's a hit or miss director, that, that would say that he's not successful or he's only successful part of the time. And I don't I don't see that. I think he just has audiences that are kind of divisive on 
what their expectations of what an M. Night Shyamalan movie is going to be. Yeah, I agree. I think they look at it and they see like a the trailer and uh, they go, oh, well, this is a horror it's a right. horror movie. Or it's a thriller, uh, or yeah. there's going to be a twist, or there's going to be this, or there's going to be that. They don't take into account the fact that M. Night Shyamalan is a storyteller. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he is a storyteller. Yeah. And, you know, we, we knock all the time on the fact that Hollywood, uh, and I know Stephen A. Turner at times has talked about how Hollywood <laughs> has no new original ideas, right? <laughs> He's not wrong <clears throat> a lot of times. Like, it's just like, hey, we're going to remake this. It's been remade five other times. Right. I will say something about M. Night that I've always enjoyed is that he usually doesn't succumb to that. Like he, it, no, it's a he no. has a, a fresh story, an original story. Yes, obviously we pull from life and we pull from history. We pull from all kinds of things to tell stories. But it's not like he's doing remakes. He's making fresh, new, right. original stuff. M Night Shyamalan has one hundred percent success rate with regard to being comfortable with the work that he has put out. He yes. is the type of person he's going to put out what he wants to put out, and whether or not the audience fully is on board with it, it doesn't matter to him. It's all about his art and what he puts out there with regard to storytelling. You know, you, so you can't fault him for that. He has the balls to go and do what he wants to do. So, that being said, what did you think about the film? <laughs> I enjoyed it. Okay. But I don't know if it's because I like Dave Batista and I like M. Night Shyamalan. Right. You know, because I, I could see where some people that had a knock on the film. <laughs> no, you didn't. That's terrible. I know. But it, I've been seeing that, right? And usually M. Night Shyamalan movies are divisive. It's either they like him or they don't. You right. Know? And uh, I was seeing that there was already some divisiveness in, with this film. And I could see where some people would be... A little miffed or a little upset. Right. Before you go any further, should we go ahead and get one of these in here? Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a side table, so we're going to be talking heavy about the film, the story, the characters, and all that stuff. So be warned if you haven't seen Knock at the Cabin yet. Continue. Dude, I love it. I loved it. And there are things I loved about it, and there are things I was kind of like, eh. I was a little frustrated, but probably not for the reasons other people would be frustrated. Okay. What you got? Okay, so, you know, as I'm watching the film, I'm going, okay. Like, because at first you're like, you know, what the heck are these people doing? Right. I mean, Dave Batista's presence walking through the woods. Even the trailer, a little freaky, but like watching it and you see this sweet little girl and then he's like kind of walking through and and you're like, you know, you're like, okay, what's what's happening here kind of thing. Uh, but with these four people showing up, kind of early on, began to realize, it was actually after the first death, like, okay, these are the four horsemen. Right. Yes. Like that realization hit me really early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's to me seeing that play out and, you know, you have, you know, David Groff's character towards the end of the film when he actually verbalizes it and says it, that you have that out there. I mean, you get that vibe throughout the whole entire thing. Yeah. And honestly, that's the only knock I have on it is that I wish he wouldn't have even mentioned that they were the four horses. Okay. Gotcha. I wish it would have left it more just people that caught it caught it others that didn't didn't but well i think it was good though that he does mention it because those who don't catch it who or those who don't piece that together that they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse because i think when people think of four horsemen of the apocalypse they're thinking doom and gloom and destruction and so you're thinking of malicious forces coming together to to destroy right and this is not that this is basically the harbingers of what is to come and if you don't piece that together Having David Groff's character verbalize it there at the end, it kind of solidifies it when you understand you're like, oh, shit, okay, 
I get it now. Yeah, that's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. I think because, again, what we do, right. I sometimes forget that there is that from a normal, everyday movie watcher. Right. Like, But I, and also dealing with spiritual things, I tend to like little, right. you know, things go off a little <laughs> yeah. more than, than others anyway. Right. What I really enjoyed about it was the fact that the way he decided to portray the Four Horsemen. You're, like you were saying, you don't think about it that way, yeah. right? You think of like, basically they're angels or demon type creatures right. that are bringing about pestilence and all these yeah. things, right? And you don't think about it as like, no, these are normal everyday people. They were chosen for whatever reason yeah. to carry this message. And they didn't even know who the hell was going to be at the cabin. Right. Now, I will say this. Everybody has an opinion about uh, same-sex uh, marriages and things on screen. Right. Whatever. Screw you. Um, but <laughs> Dude, we can do a whole deep yeah, dive. we could, we could and I don't watching, want to. Watching Knock at the Cabin and watching episodes of Last of Us on HBO Max, which I'm sure at some point we'll talk about that. Stay tuned to the feed for that down the road. But my God, my God, my God, yeah. how homophobic are we as a yeah, society? I, Jesus. But yeah, anyway. I don't I don't even want to go down no, we'll, that. That's a whole soapbox. That's a whole other on. thing. Yeah. Um, I can get some of the thinking for some people. With like, oh, okay, well, you know, if so-and-so has an agenda, blah, blah, blah. This is not one of those movies no. at all. It was a beautiful thing to watch, you know, a same-sex couple who have this child and using that within the storyline and folding that into the story, yep. right? It was a, to me, it was a, it did right by the LGBTQ community. I think that. so. It was very respectful in the way that everything was done and, and uh, showing these strong characters that, you know, it wasn't this stereotype that is so often perpetuated in Hollywood of being right. kind of the weaker or the extra feminine or, you know, the stereotypes that are typically it's, it's the same way when we talk about uh, black cinema and those in, in cinema that for the longest time, you know, black Americans were portrayed as just being from the hood and all these things where right. it's like there was not the respect given to them that was de deserved. It's the same right. way with this. I feel like this film yeah. did a really good job of respecting and elevating that into the story right. in a believable way and in uh, a way watching it, you should have much appreciation for well, Yeah. Right. From... I mean, well, I mean, it's portraying it the way that it's portrayed. It's humanizing it because they're humans. <laughs> and yeah. this, these are stories that are told in real life. This idea of, you know, how people view, homosexual couples, you know, there's a lot of really old built in ideals of what a gay couple is. Right. It's not that if anything, it's boring yeah. <laughs> because it's just a married couple. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> That's all it is. It's just a couple yeah. and they're living their life and, and to show it in a humanized way because it is human. I think it, it's not only important, but it's, it's just good. It's yeah. just good to see because yeah. you're like, these are just everyday people. Yeah. And that's how they should be viewed. The everyday people. Right. That same conversation with the everyday people that have been pegged, so to speak, to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, just crazy. Yeah. You know how that has come to be. I enjoyed the unveiling of how and why, well, I mean, you don't get the why, but how these people were chosen right. and how they were brought together. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. What did you think about well, it? Well, I, and that's where it, it was funny because something I noticed within the storytelling that, and it was a moment that clicked for me and I was like, man, he's just such a damn good storyteller. Right. Is the moment that I was having the thought of like, as an audience member watching for the, you know, I was having this thought of like, Oh, is this some suicide cult? Right. Is this thing rigged where they have the TV? Like, I'm starting to have that thought of like, okay, is this like trying to, you know, first you're right. like, what's going on here? And then you're like, oh, these guys are just crazy people. 
having those thoughts, and then as I'm having those thoughts, they address it in the film. Right. You know, in, in that moment, I'm like, it, it <laughs> was like, one of those moments. You're like, is like, M. Night sitting in the back behind me with a notepad? But, yeah, it was <laughs> one of those, on like, he, the timing and the pacing of right. the story, it's like, as an audience member, they would feel this way, or they would think this way. It's almost and we're going to go ahead and just answer it right now. Or it's at least... almost as if he went into it when when he was writing it and putting it together from a pacing standpoint. Like you said, he was writing it, I think, from a viewpoint of being someone in the audience. It's like, at what point would I feel like, okay, this is what this is. This is what that is. You know, finding those beats within the story and then flipping it around on itself. Yeah. You know, having the wherewithal from a viewpoint of an audience member right. and saying, this is where it's going to happen. This is where that turn's going to come in their head. Let me flip it around and give you something different. Yeah. Yeah. He's very skilled. Yeah. He's so, very good. That's that, that moment there. I was like, okay, this is why I like you. And I, <laughs> you know, like, it's one of the many reasons why I like you, but just overall, man, the cinematography, man was great. And just even the way he would like do, do his shots and stuff. And I've always enjoyed the way he, he tells stories through film. Like right. he's very intentional with what he puts in a shot. But he's also not afraid to use just the framing of a shot to make you as a viewer uncomfortable and unsettled. There's a lot of times I feel like, you know, with horror and stuff like that, a lot of it is, you know, they rely on jump scares. They rely on the terror. They rely on the... That's something that Kylie was telling me about because she was was kind of afraid to watch this. I kind of find out it was because she... I think watch the trailer for Cabin in the Woods or something. <laughs> but it almost looked like a Blair Witch like knockoff like remake uh, yeah. like trailer or something. So she was like, "I don't want to see this." And I was like, "That's not the trailer." <laughs> uh, but then she she had commented on the way home. She's like, "I liked that he didn't really have a lot of gore. You know, it wasn't uh, they didn't well, have to show. It wasn't necessary. Yeah, and that's he could what, have absolutely. I mean, if M Night was in the business of satiating." the bloodlust hunger of a everyday horror viewer, then yeah, he could have just went ahead and went full gore on this, yeah. but there was no need for it. Yeah. That's another trait with M Knight that he normally doesn't do that. Right. He understands the art of being able to tell a story with things that are not on the screen. Well, I mean, you can tell so much with your story by just using sound. Yes. And so like the scenes where each member of the, the four horsemen, so to speak, were basically sacrificing themselves along this prophecy that you, you know, is played out. Yeah. You don't need to see it, but you can hear it. Yeah. And hearing it is enough it's, because you know what's happening. Yeah. You know how brutal it is. Yeah. There's just so much that from an artistic standpoint, from a, a cinematography standpoint, a directing standpoint, dude, I just thought it was great. You know, like I said, with the way he frames a lot of his shots, it's very intentionally off center. Right. It's not meeting the requirements of, you know, you have a person either center screen or one third. It was just enough off to where if someone who wasn't like trained to frame up certain things, right? If as a viewer, you're not going to recognize, you might be like, there's something just eerie or off about this scene. Right. But you wouldn't know necessarily why. And it's all because of where he had people standing and the placement of people. those, Those little things for me, like I'm looking at from an artistic standpoint, I'm just like, holy crap, man. Yeah. Like it's just, he's a master at work. You right. Know? I've heard people refer to him before as like, he's kind of the modern day Alfred Hitchcock in a lot of ways. That's fair. That's more than fair. You know. Really. And, and so I think just because he, he uses storytelling yeah. to well, that's, I mean, that was to a play hallmark, to your psyche, right? That was a like hallmark the, of Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, getting the most out of very little. To scare people, and you scare people the most with the things that are psychological. Yes. And you don't have to do a lot of visual stuff. 
just to mess with people's heads. People will create the hysteria and the terror themselves. Right. You just got to lay the foundation. Right. That's it. You just got to put it out there. That's right. Yeah. What did you think about it? Like, I, I know we haven't even talked about our boy yet, but like... And oh, we're going to get to that here. I, I feel yeah. like we will, but what we were will. your thoughts? I enjoyed it. I can see where other people would not enjoy it just from a pre-built-in expectation of what they think was going to happen in the film. But if you take away all expectation and just go into it and be like, okay, give me the story. What's going on here? There's a lot about the film that generates dialogue after the fact. I think that was the point of the film. Yes. That's the point of the film is to watch it and to create these questions to have the discussion after the fact, like what we're doing right now. Right. And because of that, and when you go back in retrospect and you start thinking about aspects of the story, it gets you off on little tangents in your head about, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? Or could this relate to this? Even just now, while we were talking, you know, you had mentioned like in the trailer, whenever you see Dave Batista, his character come in, is it Leonard, I believe is his yeah, name. Leonard, you see yeah. Leonard walking in into focus with the little girl outside and they're talking about uh, the grasshoppers and collecting them and everything. It just dawned on me that any other time that scene in any other horror film, psychological thriller, whatever, he's a predator. Right. All right. Yeah. That character is a predator. Yeah. He's grooming whatever. Yeah. Yes. Right. Absolutely. But in this film, he's not a predator. Right. He's an everyday human being. And the way that he talks to her isn't from a, a grooming standpoint. It's from his training as <laughs> right. a second grade right. teacher. And yeah. so it's very pure. And it's very innocent in his approach yeah. with regard to the interaction with the little girl, who was outstanding, by the way. The little girl right. was out was yes. amazing. Absolutely. But to see that aspect, you know, and that, again, that's another one of those things you don't pick up on until, you know, later or well after that. Like me, I just it just dawned on me like, hey, that's why it was shot the way that it was shot. That's yeah. why it was acted the way that it was acted. That's why it was framed the way it was framed. That's why even the color choice of his shirt. Right. Very innocent. Like, it just a very pure, you know, yeah. white, yeah, yeah. Just a pure yeah. uh, soul in I that mean, aspect. And so, you know, thinking about that, and you think about the different aspects of the story where these people that are brought together for this task that they didn't ask for, they didn't want to be a part of, but yet here they are. They're in it now. Yeah. They're a part of this now. Yeah. So they have no choice but to go down this path. And you see their evolutions of, of each of the characters as it goes through. And then you see the interesting tie-in between Redmond, which we find out is not his name, right? and that he was actually the one who had assaulted one of the guys in the couple, yeah. you know, in a bar fight or whatever years prior. And so seeing that, that correlation, that connection, it, it got me off on a tangent even today thinking about it. It's like, okay, the four horsemen, they don't know why they were picked, but were they picked because of that incident? Especially him, because especially he was, him, he's wearing and, red. And, he was rage, passion, you right? Know, uh, and so, is his punishment having to carry out this task? And the reason why they didn't know it was them is because the universe chose this couple with this little girl yeah. because of that incident. And so, in a way, there is some kind of message there. There is some kind of hidden meaning that's there, but. We don't know, though, because it's not addressed. Right. And it's up for us to talk it out after the fact. Right. And so it's like, man, 
what a deep movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> Way deeper than I expected it to be. Yeah. I think that is why I, I'm drawn to M. Night Shyamalan right. a lot, just as a director, is because he's a creative storyteller. Yep. But his movies, from an entertainment standpoint, they can be... They're hit or miss, right? right like some right. are entertaining, some are not. Well, I mean, if, um, if you're some, well, again, like I said, but if your measuring stick is box office success or the talk at the water cooler after the fact, yes, he's hit or miss. Yes, and so just using this as an example, some of the the critique that I was seeing is this is a standard apocalyptic film, blah blah blah. It's like how? no, it's absolutely not. How, how is it a standard apocalyptic it's, film? That's my that's a great question. You get. Small doses of what the apocalypse is, but it's not it's not the focus of the movie. No. It comes down to <sighs> belief <laughs> is what it comes down yeah. to. Belief in a higher calling. Yeah. That's what the essence of the film comes down to. And then whether or not when you have differing opinions on a belief, whether or not you can find a coexistence in the middle. Yeah. That's what it comes down. That's yeah. what the story is. Yeah. The apocalypse is the backdrop. Right. <laughs> And I think and that's it's where, a deep backdrop yes. with regard to this film. Yes, and I think that's where. So, from a, when I talk about an entertainment standpoint, I think that's where you know people want to be entertained, right? Right. We, we've talked about this before. God, we've had so many that, discussions about this. Yeah, man. where people like come and they, you know, they get upset because oh, I had to think and I had to feel things. God, I had to actually be introspective. Right. It wasn't just entertaining. They didn't just spoon feed me the whole time. Right. It is entertaining from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah. But I could see where some may be like, oh, it's just okay. That's cool. Right. Like you said, no, it, everything in it is very intentional to have those conversations, to put yourself in that place. Like even as you were talking about Leonard, yeah, my immediate thought was Predator. Right. What does that say about me? <laughs> it's because we're conditioned to think that you, with regard to cinema. Right. That's, or just, I mean, that's or just, just an adult speaking to a child. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, so that there's a layer that... I didn't think about it until you were talking about it. Right. You know, but it's just like, and then, whoa, what and does it, that tell me about judging, prejudging, right? Exactly. Right? Look at the, go further, the the lady who's a nurse, you know, this idea of you've invaded our vacation home. You basically assaulted me. How can I trust you to take care of me? Right. And so there's that dialogue between that, but you totally can because she is a nurse and yeah. she, you know, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right? The, so like, the different uh, so, layers, the different layers. So the question is, what what is this movie about? It's not about the apocalypse. No, I, like I said, I I think it's about, it's about belief and whether or not when the calling comes, can you believe? And especially whenever you're in a situation where the circumstances are dire and those you care about differ with your belief and there's some, some tension there. I mean, M. Night did a great job using the quote unquote flashback sequences to establish that there was already tension in this relationship. Right. They loved each other. They made a commitment to each other. So they're going to stick it out and do whatever. Right. But there's that differing opinion, differing yeah. viewpoints there that almost every successful relationship has the yin and yang to it. Right. You know, not full on polar opposites, but enough differences there to make you attract to yourself. Sure. Having that layer in there. And then having that play into the current story, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal with regard to your storytelling and your pacing to show, okay, when the shit hits the fan, how do I find the strength to believe or how do I find the strength to stay with my conviction? And you see, which I misspoke earlier, I, I said it's David Groff, it's actually Jonathan Groff. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, you know, his character, you see that throughout the film. There's little seeds being planted along the way of doubt 
of whether or not these people are the crazy people that his husband is making them out to be. Right. Because his husband is so steadfast with regard to being rooted in his own personal right. anger. Right. And so he's going to hold fast as these people are crazy. They're here to hurt us, blah, blah, blah. They're this, that, and the other. They're everything under the sun except for what they say. Yeah. And so having his husband be like, wait a minute, hold on. What's going on here? And then actually talking to him, wanting to know more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, the more we talk about it, this is another one of those films. Like <laughs> I left it and I had an opinion of it, but now that I talk about it more, I'm like, shit, there's so much more to this. There really is. Yeah. There really is. When you, cause I remember afterwards you go, Oh man, I wish we could go record because I have a lot to talk about. Right. But I, it, I'm glad we didn't. Probably a good thing. Yeah. Cause I, 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 it's one of those that you have to let it marinate. And if you're going in and you're expected to be terrified and all of this, you're going to be disappointed. You'll there, have, there are, there you'll, are you'll moments. Have, you'll have a couple of elements. You'll have elements of that. There are definitely moments you're, where you're, yeah. you are uncomfortable and you're like, what is going on? But if you're looking for a horror, drag yourself to hell kind of, it's it's not. That's not his style anyway. No. He tells stories. There's a reason he's telling this story. And usually has to do with the human condition. Right. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, every movie that he has ever put out that I've watched, that there's always that underlying, you know, hey, here's a story. But there's that underlying statement or it, it forces you to wrestle with things about yourself and things just about humanity in general. Right. You know, some get upset because he uses uh, religious uh, overtones sometimes. But even that, he pulls from all the religions, not just one, you know, when he's telling those stories. Right. And it's just like, why? Because everyone kind of, whether they want to, you know, admit it or not, everyone has been affected by some sort of religion. Well, and right? let us... Like, it's, it's in yeah. everyone's culture. Yeah. It's and, just different. And let us not forget that, depending on your belief in the Bible some of the greatest collected stories ever. If you are the type of person who doesn't have religion and don't believe in God or whatever, you can't say that those aren't some of the greatest stories ever written because they are. Yeah. If you do believe in that and you do hold faith in that, then those stories teach you something and they, you take something away from that. Yeah. So either way you can get something from it, whether it be from a spiritual calling or just from an entertainment value. Well, yeah, and I mean, and, and not just Christianity. I mean, obviously in America, yeah, okay, there's a lot of, you know, that. But, I mean, same way with, you know, the Torah, with Judaism, right. with, yes. with Islam, yep. all of that. And and that's where I, I see M. Night pull from all of those religions, from Buddhism. He's not afraid to play in those areas. No. Where a lot of directors, they aren't. And I understand why, because at the end of the day, Hollywood's not going to pay you. <laughs> right. right. Right? Which is why M. Night Shyamalan... Has some big cojones. Well, and because and, he's, but, he stayed true to himself, and except for that one time he did Last Airbender, and a lot of people hate him for it, and I get it. I don't know. I don't have a lot to. <laughs> it's not like I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, but whatever. But that's the only thing like he's really done that he's put out that is a you know would be a franchise type you know movie. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, we t I saw a tweet earlier today. Someone had posted, said, uh, you know, for the record, just going ahead and putting it out there, Unbreakable is the greatest superhero movie put out in the last 25 years. And I was like, I can't argue with that. Right. Right. Because <laughs> it's great. It is. It's great. We've talked about that a number of times yeah. on this show. It's it, a fantastic it's... movie and probably the highest underrated superhero film ever. Absolutely. And it's great. It's yeah. it's outstanding. I don't know about glass, but uh, we'll move right. on. <laughs> that's a that's a conversation. Two, two out of three day. is not bad. You know, 
That is fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Let's talk about our boy, man. We got to. We got to. We hyped him up. He's our he's our dude. We love him here on the show. We're not making jokes at his expense. We're not doing any of that. We sincerely love Dave Batista here at the Dude What Movie Review Podcast. It is so great seeing him on screen. I'm so glad he got top billing in this. I'm so glad he had so much of a presence and really is the DNA of this film. Yes. And I'll say this. I was interested to see the film for the film. Okay. But I was more interested to see what Dave Batista does on screen. If I'm being honest, that was my main motivating factor to go see this film. The fact that I enjoyed the film was a bonus for me. Seeing Dave Batista on screen was my main goal in this. And I wanted to see what he did just because of the, the small little interviews and things that I've seen leading up to it. I was not disappointed. Yeah. He is a presence on screen. I know we use that phrasing a lot. We used it for a number of different people. We've used it for Denzel. We've used it, I believe for Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman. Dave Batista is a presence yeah. and it's not just because of his size. It's because of what he does when he's on screen. And so much of it has a lot to do with just how he acts with his face, his emotion, yeah. Yeah. how he pours it out. I really enjoyed him in this movie. He was so damn convincing as the everyday guy who is doing this because he firmly believes in it, but he does not want to be there. Right. He does not want to be there. <clears throat> and, and, and every instance of friction and every instance of of any kind of elevated, heightened emotion, he's quick to try and check that and temper it just because he knows the situation is dire. Right. And he doesn't want it to be any more grave than it has to be. He's just there. It's almost as I'm here for a job. I got to yeah. get this done. We have to do this. His ability to play the gentle giant. Yes. And to do like, and you're you're not wrong. I was you were talking about just the the way he was able to convey things even just through his face. And, and that's where I was started thinking about M night and just the way he frames his shots. Yep. And one of my biggest issues with one of M night's movies, the happening right. is Mark Wahlberg. Never say that again. <laughs> right. And I hate to even use him in this, in this conversation, <laughs> but as you were, but as you were saying this about D Dave, our friend Dave, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that is where the happening failed the most. Because, because Mark, Mark Wahlberg? Wahlberg cannot convey through his face. He only has a certain limit that he can go to, that he's gone That's to. fair. From, from a facial standpoint, yes. And just from an acting standpoint. I would. That's fair. Like, I'm not going to say that he's he can't improve and be better. But I, I will think, say this. I think Mark Wahlberg can do rage yes. very well. Yeah. He has a face. <laughs> it sounds so mean. To, he has a face that you just want to punch. <laughs> and so when he has... When he has like a rage or an anger face, you believe it. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, his face looks. He looks like someone who's pissed off. Yeah, and I. But I, as you were saying that, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, and we talk about how Dave Batista. We've seen him grow, right, as an actor, and this is one of those that. Yeah, he was able to convey things that a lot of actors can't. Right, they just can't. And to me, that's a testament in and of itself to how good Dave is. I keep calling him Dave as if he's our buddy, but like, you know, but like, dude, like even the moment where, where action was happening with him yeah, in the shower, right? Yeah. Like that bathroom. I was like, you know, he's ready to pull out some uh, wrestling shit here. No. And the way he put his glasses back on and just ever, just that yeah. whole, that whole sequence 
And it was one of these like, yeah, he regained his composure and he went back to the, just dude. He, he played it very much the everyday guy. Yes. He could have very easily been like hitting the X button on your controller while you're, you know, like where'd all this power come from? You know, like you haven't displayed any of this, you know, yeah. you got all of a sudden you got superhuman ability. No, he's just a regular guy. Yeah. You know, man, <laughs> I just love seeing him on screen. I, you know, we had seen a clip and you and I had talked about it. He wants to be one of those actors that, is known for being able to do anything. The woman who cast me in Guardians of the Galaxy, her name is Sarah Finn, and I remember her speaking with such high regard about an actor named Lee Pace. And she said, she asked me if I knew Lee Pace, and I said, no, I had not met him. She said, Lee's amazing, Lee can do anything. And I can remember the way she said that with such confidence. And I want people to say that about me. I want people to speak to me in, in those regards. You know, Dave can do anything. And that's what I want to be in my legacy. Not an even specific character. I just want He's to there. Yeah, he he is. He's absolutely there. I don't have a problem seeing him do a multitude of different types of roles because I think he can handle it. Yeah, I think he can do it and he won't ever seem out of place. Yeah. And already in his young career, we've seen him do all a number of things. Yeah. We, you and I were talking about it the other day, all the different <laughs> films that we've seen him in all, you know, thus far. Knock at the Cabin, the most recent one here. Stuber. Yep. Hilarious in that. Played it well. Drax, obviously, in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Great. Yeah. You know, we've seen him in Hotel Artemis. <laughs> very, very good role. And Jodie Foster, who was one of the stars in that, had nothing but high praise for him and the way he handled the acting and the way he handled the scenes in there. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously action, Army of the Dead. We we've done a, a side table on that here. We'll probably link to that. Glass Onion recently. Glass Onion yeah. recently. Uh, Escape Plan Escape with Plan. Sylvester yeah. Stallone. He had yeah. a great role in yeah. that. We know he can do action. We know he can do comedy. Now we know he can do drama. He can do action. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He can do suspense. He can do anything. Look, there's nothing that the guy can't do. Like, he's already established that. Yeah. And he's only been doing this acting gig thing, like, full-time seriously now for, like, what, not even 10 years? Yeah. And here's something that stands out to me, that especially in the interviews and just, just watching all of his the press and stuff up leading up to this past weekend. There's a humility about him, dude. Dude is probably one of the most humble people I've ever seen. Like, this is a lot. Like, for, for someone to be of his stature and of his expertise, if you will, and like, right. you know, his success, that he carries with him a humility yeah. about him. Dude, that's hard to find. And talk about loyalty as well. I mean, you look back at all the stuff that went down with James Gunn whenever yeah. he was more or less canceled by Marvel and everyone was in an uproar about whether or not they were going to bring him back or not. Dave Batista, he flat out said, he's like, hey, you don't bring him back as the director. I'm not coming back as Drax. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. He's like, that's the director. He's the one. He took a chance on me bringing me in. Yeah. I, if you don't bring him back, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. No more Drax. And he, and he was like, yeah. you know, whatever. He, he has the attitude of like, almost kind of like M. Night. Maybe yeah. that's why M. Night... And Dave Batista works so well together on this film. It's like yeah. they're both not afraid to say what's on their mind and do what they want to do. Well, and let's talk about Dave Batista's trajectory from leaving the wrestling world. Right. I didn't watch him as a, like when he was in wrestling because I, I had gotten out of that phase. I, I'd like, seen some of his career. But like knowing his story, right? Knowing, okay, The Rock was the one that kind of made the big splash. And he, he went hard with Hollywood. Well, the next, next up was supposed to be John Cena. John Cena! It's like you're begging me to hate you. <laughs> I know. 
Found a way to bring them in. Didn't mean to. <laughs> did not mean to. <laughs> but yeah, like when you right. like listening to interviews with Dave Batista, when he talks about the reason why he left wrestling the way he did and he chose to go the acting route the way he did was because you know within the wrestling world they groom you and prepare you to oh you're going to be the guy that we're going to put in our movies right. to help make us some money right right and so you're kind of still part of that template right. to follow yeah. and. Dave Batista's like, well, screw that. I want to act. And so he chose a different path. And there, there's a whole interview that he did in, I think it's Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Right. He talks about that. So for him to to say, hey, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've made a hell of a ton of money off of the uh, the Guardians franchise. Right. But you're not going to have me in the third one if you don't keep the director who has right. helped you make a hell of a ton of money. Right. Off of this franchise. Yeah. You know, that takes a set. You have to have a set. <laughs> yeah. I think someone like Dave Batista, who in his 50s now, he's seen quite a bit of life already, you know, and especially going through the WWE career that he had, he saw the world because that's a machine. Yeah. All right. So he's seen everything in his life. He's seen everything in his wrestling life. There's not a lot under the sun that, you know, is going to shake him with right. regard to just life experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, he does have a set because he's seen enough stuff to right. know. You know, this is where I can make my stand, and this is where I can't make my stand. My future be damned on this, but I'm not. This is my principle, and I'm right. going to hold fast stand to that. On my conviction. Yeah, yeah. You can only tip your hat to that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, hey, man, you made that decision. You're sticking with it. So, yeah. and it worked out, though. Yeah, it worked out because I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I don't want to go off on a side thing. You know, I'll just address it real quick. But I mean, the James Gunn thing. I mean, come on. It was like tweets and jokes that he had made like ten years prior. They right. were so. I mean, it it is what it is. Right. And to cancel somebody that far after the fact over something so silly and insignificant, it, to me, it's like, okay, are we saying that people don't make mistakes? Right. And are people not allowed to forgive themselves for mistakes or jokes or whatever that they've done and move forward? Right. Have opinions 10 yeah. years ago and it's changed. Right. Yeah. Look, here we are. That's another rabbit hole yes, to jump we're not down. Going, we're not going to go down that. We'll but... do our own little soapboxes on the side here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because I don't want to edit it. <laughs> But back to Knock at the Cabin. Yeah, Dave Batista screen presence really nailed it. I won't say I was surprised because I expected it. Sure. You know, sure. I expected him to have a presence. I think what blew me away was the fact that he's just adding more tools to his arsenal, man. Yeah. That's all he's doing. Yeah. He's just, he's adding more tools to the tool belt. He's got so many tricks of the trade now that he can dive into and use for success on future projects. I, I've been saying he's getting better with each role. He's not getting better. He's just fine-tuning what's already there. Right. It's fantastic. No, it is. And, I mean, the the rest of the cast, man, as well, they they did a really great job. I yeah. think, you know, Dave Batista being the anchor kind of of that, and um, yeah, Jonathan Groff, like... Love dude. me some Jonathan Groff. Still waiting for Mindhunters to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Probably going to be waiting a while. The little girl, I think her name is... Uh, Kristen Cooey, I think. I believe so. Dude, like, so <laughs> all of them did so well. Yeah. And this is one of those films that, for the most part, it takes place in one setting. Yeah. So when you do things like that, like Reservoir Dogs is a great example of a movie like that. Right. When you do movies like that, you have to rely on dialogue. Heavily on dialogue. Big time. Yep. But there was a lot of stuff. There was no dialogue. And, and the way they decide to end it, dude, Look, how... Freaking little bow on the top. Beautiful right. was that. Yeah. It's this moment of like, your daddy sacrificed himself. Yeah. 
And it's not lost on her. Right. And not at all. Yeah. For her age, it's it's not lost on her. She understands. And and so you see where like the whole scene, man, and yep. you see where even her other daddy yep. is pissed about the fact that he's lost his lover, his 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 spouse, right? right. Like you can even see that it becomes not lost on him through her eyes. Through her, and so yeah. It was one of those because like, he was thinking from his vantage point. Right. The whole the whole entire time, it's always how I feel, what I think. This is what we need to do from my vantage point. Blah blah blah. But as that scene unfolds, you see the shift where it's it's no longer about him. Right. Just and, him. And he realizes. Yes. Wait, you didn't sacrifice yourself for everybody else. You sacrificed yourself. For this little girl next to me. Right. And, dude, I mean, just a beautiful scene. No words were spoken. Didn't need to. You didn't need to. No words were spoken. Right. And it's just one of those, like, I don't know. You have a master storyteller. You have a great cast. Great script. People that are shitting on it piss off. (laughs) 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 Look, man, here's the thing. Like, just again... It's all about expectation, man. Yeah. And I know some people would kind of poo-poo that and be like, well, this is what I wanted. This is what... Ugh. It's like, don't get hung up on what you want. Yeah. F- focus on what you have yeah. and what's there. Yeah. Judge it based on its merit. Yeah. If you have a certain expectation of a film or a show or something that you want, go watch that. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, if you go into a show thinking it's going to be like Breaking Bad, just go watch Breaking Bad again. Yeah. Don't go into thinking this is going to be the second part of Breaking Bad. No, right, right. just go watch Breaking Bad if that's what you want, yeah. because this is something different. Same thing with this movie. It's an M. Night Shyamalan film. That doesn't mean anything. That that literally means nothing. You can change his name to Joe Blanford. It doesn't matter. Right. This is a film. Yeah. So go into it judging the film for what it is. Is it M. Night's job to do the same cookie cutter film every single time because that's what you expect? Is it Steven Spielberg's you know, job to do a cookie cutter film every single time? Is it James Cameron? Uh, we don't even care about yeah. him. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> who? Who's that? James who? <laughs> <laughs> Point being is go into the film without any expectation and be surprised by what the story that you are given is. That's what I went into this thinking because I can see where a lot of people would be pissed off about the ending. Cause you know, let's talk about the ending a little bit yeah. because I think everyone was expecting a twist because it is the M night Shyamalan. But right. the truth of the matter is this was a straightforward story. There was, was no a twist. It, there was no twist. You don't need a twist. Yeah. If you want to say that there was a twist, the twist is Jonathan Groff's character having the realization that all this was real. Right. That's the twist. Right. Opening up and being like, okay, I believe now. You know, it's kind of like a reverse thing of like, of going to religion. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I, I've let religion into my heart. No, I let this into my being. Right. I understand now what has to be done. Right. To save yep. how many people? Here's the twist is that there was no twist. Right? Because right. people go expecting a twist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was no twist. And he was like, you know what? We're not doing that. We don't need to. You did, And you didn't need to. You didn't. You like, didn't need it, to. The story didn't lend itself to that. I, I love the choices that Dave Batista made in his final scene. And I love the choices that M. Night Shyamalan made with regard to, like you were talking about, you know, staging the cameras, what shots to do, not having to see the gratuitiveness, right. just need to hear it. Yes. But the choices that sp- specifically that Dave Batista made in how he handled that approach and in the dialogue was just so good because Gosh. the dialogue with regard to, he has this one line where he's like, my friends, my new friends. Yeah. And when you think about it now in regard to that character, Leonard's character, second grade teacher, I mean, 
no malice, no hate in his heart, always caring, always kind, always welcoming, even though he knows that because of their choices and their actions, it has doomed him. Yeah. But that's okay because he's he still has hope that even after that, they still have time to do yeah. it right, the right thing. Yeah. And just the 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 way the way he handled the scene, man. Dude, that whole scene, the way yeah. it was framed and shot, like you see her like going into the treehouse, the treehouse. Yeah, dude. And they it played just... that whole scene. It was a one or it was a one shot, you one know. And they shot, kept going, yeah. like have her go all the way out there, and they kept her in frame. Yeah. But then you see the camera slowly come in, dude. Yeah. That that piece of cinematography was stellar, Absolutely. outstanding. Absolutely. It was. I thought it was great, man. I, I even loved the, the 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 way they did the planes. Usually, whenever you see like an apocalyptic thing, you see planes. It's like yeah. this long drawn thing. No, these planes literally fell out of the sky, right? As it was prophesized yeah. with the the things that Dave Batista was saying. Yeah, you know, Leonard laid it out. Well, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, and then you see it slowly play out, and then the way that the planes fell from the sky. Like you talked about certain camera angles kind of setting you on edge, something slightly disturbing. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not a big thing, but it's... it's Just enough. The yeah. way those planes, that they had them fall out of the sky, there was something very eerie and disturbing about how they fell. It was like very unnatural to how planes would go yeah. from the sky to the earth. Right. You know, because it goes against the grain of what your anticipation of how a plane crash is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so just the way that it was shot, the way it was presented... You know, using like news footage or whatever yeah. and everything, all uh, dude, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then the little touch at the end in the diner with the waitress calling, I think it was her mom, yeah, saying that she loves her and that she's everything's gonna be okay. Just little, little nuances that are yeah. thrown in here and there. Awesome, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was great, man. And I, I have nothing really to bag on it, really, you know. As, oh, you're, as you're talking. Here we go. Here we go. I was thinking, here's the twist. You want a twist? Here's the twist. You'll appreciate this. Oh, God. Here's the twist. The world was saved by a gay man. <laughs> yes, it was. That's the twist. Right? That's the twist. <laughs> Suck on that, Republicans. <laughs> I'm, I'm Republican or not. I'm just saying, like, like you, looking from a religious standpoint, right? right? Let's just talk about that for a second. There's your twist. It's true. I mean, that's not what you're expecting. You aren't. Yeah, no one was expecting. <laughs> so I, it just so in a way, yeah, there was a twist. There was. Yeah, it just wasn't uh, the stereo stereotype that you you would expect from M Night. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> It's true, though. It's so true. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're going to be a person that complains that Hollywood doesn't put anything new out. Right. And then you go and bag on movies like this. Just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah. No. I mean. Because ultimately what you're saying is you don't want something new. Right. You want regurgitated same stuff that you've you always had. You want an Avatar 7. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> right? Jim. Let me. Nobody wants that. Jim, let me <laughs> just go ahead and say it right now. Nobody wants Avatar yeah. 7. Yeah. People, no even don't. the people who say they want yeah. Avatar Seven, yeah, they they're don't. saying it under duress. They right. don't. Want it. It's James, James Cameron. Cameron. No <laughs> means no. James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron holding a gun. You want Avatar Twenty Eight, don't you? <laughs> no means no. Wow. 
That escalated quickly. 